All right, well, welcome back. My name is Ben, and I have the honor of serving here as the uh, lead pastor. Um, man, William did an awesome job. Can we just everybody say thank you for William last week? Um, <clears throat> I caught the vid just like everybody else on planet Earth apparently has right now. Um, and uh, got tested like early last week because uh, kids were, you know, coughing and some stuff. And then uh, it's negative. And so I was like, all right, I'm good to go. And I just kind of didn't feel good, didn't feel good. And then uh, Saturday, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be with a few hundred folks. Let me just double check this. Um, and sure enough, I had it. And so I texted William. I mean, he just did an awesome job launching into our series on counterfeit habits. And if, uh, if you weren't here, I'm going to catch us up on what exactly that means, because it's not a phrase that, um, that I've heard before. It's kind of something that we... Uh, I don't know, kind of came to the conclusion of, but before we get started in today, I just want to spend some time praying um, to God that he would just um, open our eyes and our hearts to see him today. And so Jesus, we ask and we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, no matter where we are in our relationship or our walk and our thoughts about you. God, I pray for the person who is here, who is at church for the very first time in a long time or perhaps the very first time ever. Not sure if you're there, not sure if you exist, not sure if you're true, you're real, and for the person that has been walking faithfully with you for a long time, God, would you meet each and every one of us here as we open your word together. And so in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, so he launched us into this series called Counterfeit Habits. And uh, really what counterfeit habits are, in a different way said, um, is this counterfeit habits are basically um, habits that are usually good things that are enabling habits that keep us from what ultimately is the best thing. And the best way to kind of lead in this is to tell you how I kind of came upon this series. Um, so years ago, this was six, seven, eight years ago, uh, I got a call uh, late on like a Monday or Tuesday night. You know, late to me is like nine. So you're like, nine, bro, I just woke up. Okay, 19-year-old. Um <laughs> I said that degradingly, intentionally, okay? Um, <clears throat> just buckle up. So I got, I got this call, and it was like, and it was, you know, there was, was this group of freshman girls, and they had a, a roommate, and they had a friend, and she was going through a bunch of stuff, and every night she would come and just kind of unload, here's all the stuff, here's all the stuff, here's all the stuff, and she would get really worked up, and sometime around midnight, 1 a.m., um, kind of on the verge of a panic attack. And they just said, this has happened almost for a week straight. We can't continue to do this. We need to talk to somebody older. Now, pause. My wife's a therapist, and she is so much more qualified to handle this stuff than I am. And so I said, you know, Lindsay, how do you feel about them coming over for, you know, just a few minutes to talk about this? And she said, absolutely. So they came over. They started telling us about what's going on. And this is, by the way, how I know that my wife is a therapist and I'm not. One, she has a couple of master's degree in it. She's about to go get her doctorate in it, which, good grief, why, right? Um, well, why? Because she's awesome is why. Um, but she, you know, thousands of hours of supervision, all this kind of stuff. And so they come over, they start talking about, you know, what's going on, all this kind of stuff. And I'll never forget what she said, because oftentimes people are like, oh, we want to hear from Ben, because he's the pastor. I'm like, bro, I can pray, but like, therapy is not my deal. And so they're saying all this stuff, and I'm just thinking, gosh, that's so, you know, that's so difficult, because their, their conundrum is, we feel and we're afraid that if we don't have these conversations with her, what's she going to do? But we also know that we just can't continue to do this. And so we want to love our friend, but what do we do? <clears throat> and Lindsay's advice was so clear. She said, do not, do not have those conversations with her anymore. Do not have those conversations anymore. And the reason is, 
is as long as you continue to have those conversations, that for her is an outlet. And she will continue to use that outlet instead of actually seeking mental health counseling and help because you simply aren't qualified to help her. That as long as you do that, it's a good thing. Talking to friends, it's a good thing. But at some point, that good thing becomes an enabling thing. It becomes a counterfeit to what the real thing is, and you ought to do the actual real thing because doing that is the most loving thing you can possibly do. I just thought, wow, man, how many areas of life is that true for us? Like, besides the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm for sure, but let me just give you one of my counterfeit habits. I used to work out. Now I play golf, okay? And I know some of you think, well, if you swing hard enough, maybe it's a workout. It's not, okay? It's not the way I play because I don't swing that hard. Like, maybe if, like, I just, like, for 15 minutes, like, uh, that sounds awful. That's not why I play golf. I play golf because I like to ride in a golf cart and hit a ball as far as I can. That's it, right? Like, I don't even, if I can avoid it, I don't even walk nine holes, Eight, not walk 18 holes? Like, bro, come on, man. I'm, a, I'm an adult. Like, right? <clears throat> now, for me, it's easy because I'm out there and I'm doing stuff and I'm active and it's, and it's fun and it's nature and I am doing something, you know, quasi-athletic as much as swinging a stick at a ball is, which is a lot of sports, by the way. Anyways, right, like, like as much as that is, it's, it's like there, there's no cardiovascular challenge. There's no muscular challenge. There's, all, there's just a challenge. How do I get this ball from, from not toe-hooking it straight left, right? Like, like that's the biggest challenge. Or like, you know, putting. Like, y'all saw that pendulum? Mm-hmm. That's a good putting stroke right there. But, right, that's not exercise. But I can make myself think that it is because I'm outside and I'm doing something active. Well, the point and the purpose of this entire series is to say, what if that's also true of us spiritually? What if, what if the reason that we don't engage with God's word very often is because of the fact that it's easier to hear a sermon or a podcast than it is to go hear God's word directly from him? Because I can be interested and compelling when someone else is listening or when you're listening to me or when I'm listening to you or whatever podcast thing that we listen to. But there's nothing like me going into God's word and just saying, God, I want to spend time with you in your word today. I can avoid my sin when you talk about it, but it's difficult for me to avoid when it's just me and God and his word. And so what if... Many of the rhythms of our spiritual life that we want to do, know we should do, ought to do, sometimes feel bad and convicted because we don't. What if the reason why was because there's actual habits that are good things that are getting in the way of what God would have as what's best for us? So we launched this 22 Days in the Word, and it's been awesome. If you want to join in, it's where you text word 22 to um, 94000 or 94,000. And you might say, well, I don't want to jump in a weekend. Well, why? Grow up. Like, who cares? It's not about checking a spiritual box. It's about developing a spiritual rhythm where you're spending time with God. And by the way, we'd love for you to respond back and say, this is what I'm learning. And I just want you to know, this is how much we care. This is how much I care. I respond personally to every single person who texts in. And the reason is is because I think it's just that important for you to spend time in God's word. I said to the first service, this is super cheesy. Jesus doesn't leave you on red, so neither do I. Um, Yeah, that's what I thought too. But here's why. Because, man, 
That's just so vital. It's so important. Hebrews 3, as, as the writer of Hebrews is about to quote Psalm 95, he says, as the Spirit says. In other words, this is, this is the Spirit of God breathing the Word of God. This is the voice of God. You want to hear what God has for you? You want to know what God's will is for your life? Read His Word. That is, His Spirit breathed His Word, and we have a chance to live and experience that every single day. As he goes on to say in chapter 4, it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. My words won't change your life. Jesus' will. Simple. We want to encourage you, man, do that. Read it for yourself. It's beautiful. It's incredible. It's challenging. It's convicting. It's compelling. And so today, we're going to talk about a habit that I think is one of my favorite habits to talk about because it's one of the the habits that, if I'm being honest, is one of the areas that I have the tendency to have a great spiritual deficiency, and that's in prayer. Prayer. And today, we're going to discover a couple of things about prayer that I think have the potential to change our relationship with God. And I don't say that lightly. I say that because many of us were never taught to pray. Many of us were never taught how to pray, not just to pray, right? Most of us, we picked it up somewhere. We heard somebody pray. We heard somebody said some, say some things. We heard, you know, in church people were praying. And then we just kind of took and piecemealed together the ideas of prayer that, you know, I could pray to God and you can pray to God anywhere. So you're driving in traffic and you're running late or I regularly run late. Some of my best prayer times, God, can you help this light to turn green? God, can you help this idiot to not be an idiot anymore? That's in front of me and going way too slow, right? God, can you help this test that I have? God, can you help? I have this massive project. God, I have this presentation at work. God, my kids will not go to sleep. Would you do a Red Sea miracle and put them to bed, and I will honor you for the rest of my life, right? Like, like that's, that, that's a part of prayer, sure, maybe. But what was interesting, and this was fascinating, as the disciples walked with Jesus, at some point they asked him, teach us to pray. In other words, they were Jewish men who had spent most of their life praying. And they looked at Jesus and they said, there's something different about how he prays. Would you teach us to pray like you pray? And you know what he didn't say? You can pray. Just talk to God. He said, absolutely. Let me teach you how then to pray. And here's my guess. And I say this with all the sensitivity in the world. Many of us don't pray because we have the wrong ends and the wrong purposes behind prayer. I just, want to, I just want to read this together and kind of progress through it because there's some interesting things. Jesus has given the Sermon on the Mount and it starts in Matthew 5. Uh, he was in front of this massive crowd. And I used to think Sermon on the Mount was because Jesus was in front of this massive crowd. And so he's like, you know, people can't hear me enough. Let me go up on a mountain and shout down, you know, and, and God's voice like thunder. It was Garth Brooks-esque and the thunder rolls, right? And it's just like, and the lightning strikes, bah, bah, right? <clears throat> and that, he just spoke this. But no, no. He saw this massive crowd, was not interested in the crowd, went back, sat on the hill, a.k.a. the mountain, and he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. This was for the people who were following him, who he says, let me teach you something and a couple of things. And in this, he goes and he talks about prayer. If you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. He says this about when they were supposed to pray. He says, chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, and when you pray, He says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. I'm just going to start here. He said, when you pray, I don't want you to just, you know, you go out in the street corner and it's this big public prayer and it's this big public display. He said, man, you see people do that. And you know what? They've received their reward in full. You know what their reward is? Everybody looks around and says, wow, they pray. You could also say this. When you pray, don't be that family at Sonny's or Four Rivers or wherever it is that you find your barbecue, right? Um, in that you, you sit down in front of everybody and you have this massive prayer service. As a pastor, sometimes you know when I go to lunch with folks, people are like, should we, should we pray? I just want you to know. I prayed for my food at one point in time, and I think that's sufficient because I think God's powerful enough, right? I just said, God, would you bless everything I ever eat? I'm just saying I have more faith, okay, right? You got to do it every day. I just did it once. It was sufficient, right? <clears throat> but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. He looks at it and he says, okay, don't think that when you do it in front of people, when you have this display, that, that all of a sudden that, that, that's the prayer that ultimately is for God. Now, is that okay? Of course that's okay. But here's what he says, and this is fascinating. <clears throat> he says, but when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, isn't this fascinating? The very first thing Jesus tells his disciples about prayer is the location. Well, Ben, can't you pray anywhere? Can't you pray as you're driving down the road? Can't you pray in a parking lot? Can't you pray in a class? Can't you pray at work? Can't you pray... At Sonny's? Well, yeah, of course you can. He says, but I want you to have a different type of prayer. You can pray in the by and by, in the communication of life. If you're married, especially if you're married and you have young kids, you know this. So much of life, so much of conversation is logistics. Who's picking up? Who's dropping off? What time's practice? What are we doing for dinner? Do we have lunch? What do we need to add to our Instacart order? Because who actually goes to grocery stores, right? There's a difference between that. In those deep conversations that you're at a restaurant for hours just talking. Or you're in the parking lot and it's just the two of you. And you're having such a good time you don't want to go inside. Or the conversation you have over a campfire. And you're just talking about yourself and your life. And there's a difference. So he starts off and he says, okay, maybe there's something about prayer that is location-specific, not because of the geographical proximal places, but because of the intimacy that it creates. He continues and he says this. He says, and when you pray, he says, don't keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. In other words, and you've heard this too. This is the person who, like, man, when they pray, they just, they go off, right? This is like their time to throw down. And they're like, and God, and we pray. And they're using, like, all like the, you know, we were hoping that you were Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, you know, Elohim. You're like, I thought we were talking to Jesus here. Like, who, like, like, like what is going on right now, right? And they're just, they're going nuts. I mean, I heard the pastor talk about this one time, and he talked about how, you know, so he's a pastor. His dad was a pastor. And while his dad was a pastor um, at their church, he said there was two men who, they were just the most extraordinary prayers. 
that all of a sudden it felt like when they prayed, it, was, it just felt like they were just like rattling the gates of heaven. Like, like the angels were like, shh, Bill is praying, right? And he said both of them left their wives, left the church, and are no longer following Jesus. He says, so don't think that it's the quantity or quality of your words. And then he says the thing to me that is so almost just frustratingly difficult to grasp. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. He says, don't, don't, don't do that. God already knows. Now, for some of us, that's, that's kind of the, again, the, the frustrating, the confounding part. Tori would just say, well, let me ask a really obvious question. If God already knows what I ask before I ask it, if God already knows what I need before I tell him I need it, <laughs> then why in the world do we pray? And if you've ever struggled with that, and in fact, the, the other side of that, which is, well, if God already knows what I need if I'm gonna, and I ask him, and if God already knows what I need before I ask him, then he's already going to do what, I, what he's going to do anyways. And so if God's already going to do what he's going to do, and God already knows what he's going to do, and God already knows what I need, then what are we even doing here? It seems like a wildly inefficient waste of time. If you have ever struggled with that, you are on the precipice of an incredible spiritual discovery that perhaps that's not why we pray. Perhaps there's something more to prayer. Perhaps there's, perhaps there's my request to God are a component of it because there are parables where Jesus says, you know, be like the person who came to the, the person in the middle of the night. Be like the persistent widow who came to the judge and continued to ask and ask and ask. But what if that's just a small corner in the arena of the purpose of prayer? And I feel like sometimes for us, our counterfeit habits, we're going to get into what they specifically are, but for some of us, the counterfeit habit to prayer is the version of prayer that we've done that we just continually said, God, I need, I need, I need, help me, help me, help me, bless me, bless me, bless me. In other words, many of our prayers, we treat God like a spiritual vending machine. We put the quarter in, hopefully the blessing drops down, and we take it and run with it. And what if, what if he already knows, and what if that wasn't the purpose? So then Jesus says, so this then, so this then is how you should pray. Verse 9. Our Father, communal, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, if you grew up in church, you know these verses, our Father, who art in heaven. I don't know when art became a thing, right? Who Our Father, who art in heaven. But our Father, you know, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I was in a, I was, uh, we used to play, and I played high school football. It wasn't very good. I only played it my senior year just because I was, thought it was fun to run into people, um, which is not apparently make a good football player. Um, anyways, 
I remember we would get right before we get into it. All of a sudden, it was like the quickest Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, that will be done. Let us in heaven, give us daily bread. bread da, 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 da. Amen. All right, now let's go win. Let's go kill them, right? Like, that's kind of how we treat this. Um, but, man, I, I love this contrast. Because here's the thing. Again, Jewish audience, Jewish audience, they had a view of God that oftentimes, honestly, we don't have because we don't have the context and the, and the years and the generations of experience that they did. But when Jesus said, our Father, they said, hold on, what? Like, he is God, not Father. He says, no, 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 God, it, it, he's, he, he, is, he, he is God, but he is our Father. In other words, there implies this deep-seated sense of intimacy. He says, I want you to talk when you're talking to God. I want you to talk like you're talking to your Father, not just a foreign deity. Now, I do want to pause here because I have good friends of mine who struggle with this. And not struggle with this because they have a struggle, they struggle with praying. They just struggle with it because they had really terrible fathers. And so when God, when people in church say God is like your father, you're like, if he is at all like that, I don't want anything to do with that. Let me just toss an idea out there. Perhaps you are actually at an advantage. Because maybe you have seen such a bad picture of father, you know exactly what you don't want to be. And the reason that I say you're at advantage is because people who are really good dads, sometimes it's difficult to tell what's the good part and what's not the good part. You have had so much bad, and you have a picture of exactly what bad is, but you have a picture that if I ever have kids, this is what I want to be like with my kids. What if God was the God, that, that's the father that you wish you had? And he says, our Father, who art in heaven, he says, hallowed or holy is your name. Holy is your name. Hallowed is your name. Revered is your name. The tension here is that God is a God who we're looking at and saying, God, you are holy. You are revered. You are to be submitted to. You are God. Holy is your name. And at the same time, you are my father. I love Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes has these, this, this uh, verse. Um, Solomon, who's the wisest dude to ever walk around, uh, stands Jesus, um, wrote the book of Proverbs, also wrote Ecclesiastes. He says this, and I love this. Is, I'm like, man, this is, this is prayer. Ecclesiastes 5, 2, he says this. He says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. In other words, don't just like run up like, Jesus, what up, dude? Right? Like he says, like, I just want you to pause for a second. He says this, God is in heaven. You are on earth, so let your words be few. Isn't that beautiful? Like what if that was our, what if that was our posture before God? God, before I run into him, before I say him, before I tell him, before I talk, God, I just want to pause and acknowledge you are holy, you are on heaven, I am on earth, so I'm just going to shut up for a little while. Because you are that holy, you are that big, and before I spend my time in prayer telling you what you ought to do, before I spend my time in prayer trying to bend your will to do what I would like you to do as a spiritual vending machine, maybe I should just sit down, be quiet, and say, you are in heaven, I am in not, and so God, I just want to be a, a time where I'm in your presence and saying, hallowed, 
holy, revered, glorious, magnificent, beautiful, perfect is your name. And he's also, and this is the beauty, this is why this is so important. In his magnificence, glory, power, grandeur, he's also your father who is for you. Think about that. Think about the most powerful person that you know. Now think about the most powerful person you know and multiply it by everything, I guess. I don't know. I have little kids, like Googleplex. Remember that one, right? Infinity times infinity. That's how much we love each other at our house, right? Like, like I just want you to think, like, like, man, that's how powerful God is. And he is for you. He's your father. Let me just ask. If we don't do anything else, anything else, what if we just started our prayers right there? God, you're in heaven. I am not. I'm going to let my words be few. And I know that you're my father. So I know that you are for me. He continues, he says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, I know that you're in heaven. And I know that you are holy. And I know that you are my Father. And God, I know that because you're my father, you want what's best and you know what's best. And so God, I just want you to know, I got some stuff going on in life, of course. Sure, everybody does. But God, your will be done, not mine. God, before I tell you what I think your will should be, I just want to spend time and posture myself to say, I want to be submissive to whatever your will is. So God, whatever it is, whenever it is, wherever it is, however it is, with whomever it is, God, I want you to know your will be done, not mine. You know best, I don't. And God, I know, and this is why, by the way, the gospel is so important. Because at times we think God is in opposition to us because of the fact that we've sinned and we've been, been disobedient. Because God knows what you did last night at recess, in other words, right? Or God knows what happened on that business trip. Or God knows what happened at whatever place and whatever space and whatever season that you were in your life. God knows how you treated your wife. God knows how you treated your husband. God knows how you treated your kids, right? Like, God knows all that stuff. And so we think because of our disobedience that God isn't actually forced. Let me tell you, if he was not forced in light of our disobedience, he never would have died on the cross. And so when we get the fact that we have a standing before God, not because of our morality, but because of his goodness and his grace, that, that the gospel is not about making bad people good, it's about making dead people alive. It's about helping people who, who were not forgiven, who were rebellious, that are now forgiven simply because of the fact that God loves us. And by the way, the reason we live for God now is not because we're trying to make God happy with us, because as if we were going to earn our way into God's good graces, we we live for God not to make him happy. He is happy, therefore we live for him. We're not in threat of our father no longer loving us, but because we love our father, we want to do what loves and honors him. And so he looks at it and he says, man, your will be done. 
And we know that we can trust him. Because if while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, then I know that I am still a sinner. And God still loves me. And is for me. But perhaps the for me part isn't for me to bless me, help me, protect me, keep me. Perhaps the for me part was for me to submit to him. See, the next part he says this. So give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. So here's, here's give me today my daily bread. Now again, this was a well-versed Jewish group that he was talking about. Hebrew group, Israelite group. Which meant that they, when he said daily bread, here's what they thought. Manna in the desert. Moses, every single day. Nation of Israel would walk through the desert. 40 years. They wouldn't have anything to eat because it's a desert. And God would provide every single day. This was not a saying, God, now here's all the things that I want you to do. This was a, God, I am dependent on you. This was a declaration of their dependency. Let me just say this. What if the purpose of prayer, what if the purpose of prayer was never for us to say, God, here's all the things that I want. What if the purpose of prayer was for us to simply go before God and say, God, I need to reposition myself that you are in heaven and I am on earth and that you are my father. Because what I have a tendency to do is think that I'm in control of everything that happens here on planet earth and everything rides and dies on me. And I just need to center myself to remember that you're in heaven, I'm not, it's your will, not my will. It's your kingdom, not my kingdom. And God, I am just dependent on you today. And so God, give me today my daily bread and help me to, you know, lead me not into trespasses, but deliver me from evil. In other words, God, and help me to live in a way that glorifies you today. Like Jesus said, this is how you should pray. What if that's how we actually prayed? Here's what I think the counterfeits are in our current context, and especially because of our purposes. We prefer passive public prayers to intimate private ones. We prefer passive public prayers. The reason I say passive and public is because we pray passively towards God. That God, if you could just, if you would just, we pray. Very few of us, it's this intimate. Go in my room, close my door, pray to my Father who's unseen. Let me just be honest. When I say this list is a list of the counterfeits, again, they're all good stuff for the most part. Can you pray to God continually? Can you pray to God when you're driving? Can you pray to God for the test or for the thing? Of course. But the counterfeit, there's going to counterfeit in a fake or the counterfeit in just a copy is a counterfeit tries to act like the real thing. What if that was a thing but not the thing? This is the second one. It's easier to talk to a friend than submit to him. It's easier to talk to a friend than submit to him. I feel like I need to like explain that, but I think we get it. Because when I talk to a friend, man, it's just like, hey, a lot of times it's, I'm, 
for being you know transparent, which you don't have to be. I, I will be for us. A lot of times that's just me saying, hey, here's what I want to do. Here's the justification I'm telling myself. Will you also give me permission to do what I already want to do anyway? What if it was, I mean, it, it, here again, talking to a friend is not bad. The Bible speaks clearly. There's wisdom in the counsel of many, 100%. We should have wise people in our life that we are saying, here's what I think God's telling me. Can you, and I've I've gone to him, and I've talked to him, and I've submitted to him, and I think this is his will. Can you just, but I want to hear, I want to know what you think because I trust your discernment. That's okay. But that's not what we do often. Because it's easier to say, okay, here's what I think I should do. Do Do you agree? Okay, cool. Let me say the last one. This is, you know, might be difficult to handle, but welcome to church. Um, <clears throat> we stress and worry instead of trusting the one who holds everything. We stress and we worry. And if you're under 40, we call that anxiety. Um, it's this interesting linguistic thing that happens. And by the way, just as a caveat, I'm not talking about like, true clinical debilitating anxiety. That's, that's a different sermon for a different day. What's interesting is stress for the older generations have become anxiety for the younger generations. And I think that there's a part of anxiety when we say that just kind of releases my sense of responsibility in it. And I don't say that in a, in a negative way. I just, it is what it is, right? I mean, life is inherently difficult. Life is inherently stressful. But here's why I say that that's a counterfeit habit. And, I, and I'm trying to be as sensitive as I possibly can about this because it's real. And it's difficult. And life is stressful. Life is difficult. You need to be resilient. Let me tell you what my wife says about stress or anxiety. It's one of two things. It's either a prediction of the future or a consistent replaying of the past. It's either a prediction of the future. I'm worried because this is what I'm predicting. Or... It's a consistent replaying of the past where I am beating myself up for what I've done. It's true. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that. What if, just what if, a part of prayer was to realize that I can let go of the past because I am consistently beating myself up for something that Jesus has already forgiven me for. And I am currently holding myself to a higher standard than God. He has already forgiven me. And so, God, I just want to position myself because when I think about my past, it just replays my, 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 my mind. And I feel so bad and I feel like such an idiot. And I just, I continue to beat myself up. And God's saying, man, like there was this parable where he was talking. And he said there's this one person who has been forgiven a lot. And this other person who's only, you know, who, who has, a, has this small debt. And the person who has the small debt, he can't forgive them. And so how can you really say you understand this massive debt that's been forgiven if you can't understand this small debt? It's the unmerciful debtor. Well, sometimes the unmerciful debtor is ourself. And what if it's us positioning and saying, okay, God, you have already forgiven my past or a prediction about the future. God, I know and I believe you are in heaven. I am on earth. And, and I know that I don't know the future, but God, I know you hold all things. You sustain all things through the power of your mighty word. And so, God, I don't know what the future is. I am worried about the future. But I just want you to know I trust you. As difficult as it is, I trust you. And I trust you that you know me. I trust you that you know my situation. I trust you that you know 
know what's going to happen, and I want you to know your will, not my will. This is the part of prayer for me that, honestly, some days I just don't get past this part. I don't get past the part where I'm saying, God, I know because I have a strong will, and I want to do whatever the heck I want to do. I want my kingdom come, my will to be done, not your kingdom come, your will to be done. And so I just sit in prayer and just think and say, God, would you help me to be okay with your will no matter what your will is? It doesn't make everything go away. But it shifts our perspective. It centers us. This is why Philippians, it says, don't be anxious about anything. But through prayer and supplication, present your request to God and the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Because as I present my request to God, I'm saying, God, I trust you with this thing and I am dependent on you with this thing. That's why Jesus said, don't worry. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. Aren't they taken care of? And your father cares so much more about you. And this isn't to make anybody feel shame about stressing anxiety. But here's kind of the point. For many of us, no one ever taught us that this was the purpose of prayer. And so what if we spend our entire lives praying in a way that treats God as a vending machine. And the obvious thing that happens is that we get frustrated and we give up because on one hand, it seems like God was going to do it anyways. And two, I wonder if it even works. And what if it works was never the point? What if it was never about God who I was just supposed to try to get his will to bend to mine. But it was a father who is holy, who I'm saying, God, just help me to trust you more. You'd be sensitive to this and say, this is, it's easy to say. When you're talking about like a test or a red light, it's really difficult to say when you have a loved one, a family member who's in the hospital, and you don't know if it's possible. That's why I say sometimes I don't make it. Don't say that lightly. Don't say that in jest. It's honest. I just say, God, I just really, I want to trust you, but I really want this thing to be done. And that's okay. You can say. Again, you can say, God, this is, you know, help me to be okay with your will, but this is what I'd like. That's what Jesus did. Night before he died. He said, Father, if there's any way besides the cross, any way, I would love to not be crucified given, right? But Father, your will be done. And here's, here's what I'm hoping and here's what I'm praying for all of us. That every single day, just for the next week, I just want us to, I want us to do a week-long experiment. In fact, we're going to start incorporating this in the text. So again, if you want to start to do this, you can, you know, word 22 to 94,000. And, and, and here's what we're going to do. I just want every single day, every single one of us to get alone, just us and God, and say, I'm going to spend some time. God, you were in heaven. I am not. God, you were my father. And so I know that you have the power. I know that you are for me. And so help me to trust you with whatever you have for me. Last thing I'll say, last sentence, is back in verse 6, Jesus said this. Then... Your father, who sees what is done in secret, 
will reward you. My guess is if we all did this for a week, we wouldn't all of a sudden come home with the brand new 76 Bronco that we've been talking about for years. That perhaps, just perhaps, the reward that we get would be the greatest reward we could ever get, which is that we get God. That we get intimacy with him. That for the first time ever, you pray, and it doesn't feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the walls to this foreign, deaf deity, but to your heavenly Father who hears you, knows you, and is for you. My guess is we would come back next week, not with all the things that we ever asked for, but knowing the one who holds all things. Let's pray together. God, I pray and I ask that you would help us every day for the next week just to try it. Every day for the next week that we would simply spend time with you. We would spend time acknowledging that you are our Father, and our Father is hallowed in heaven. I pray that you would give us time to simply pause and meditate on that reality, that you are so big, so powerful, yet so intimate and so close. And God, I pray as we posture ourselves in a way that acknowledges your greatness, your grandeur, and your glory, yet your intimacy, you would give us the ability that no matter what happens in life, no matter what situation we're facing, we would be able to say, your kingdom, not mine. Your will, not mine. And as we have things that we are facing in life and things that we would love to work out in a particular way, we would just declare our dependence on you. And God, there's so many other things that we can put in place of that. Passive prayers in public places, talking to a friend as opposed to submitting to you, or just worry and stress. Some of those are good things. Some of those are natural things. But I pray and I ask that we would know who you are in your holiness and your intimacy and we would submit to your will every single day. And I pray and I ask that as we do that, we would receive our reward, which is you, the greatest reward we could ever have, intimacy with our heavenly Father. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray, amen.